The psalmist is remembering Israel's journey through the wilderness after the exodus from Egypt. He spread out a cloud as a covering and a fire to give light at night. They asked, and he brought them quail and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. Like a river it flowed in the desert. The next reading is from John, chapter 8, starting at verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge... My decisions are right, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father, the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area, near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him, because his time had not yet come. Once more Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he confirmed, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. This is God's word. I want to ask a really important question, which is, how can we know that Jesus is true? I'm suspicious And I rather suspect you are, when people make a pitch, especially a religious pitch, when people come around asking for money or for my time 
or for my energy or for my allegiance. My instinct is to say there are plenty of frauds, plenty of charlatans in the world. I'm not going to be gullible and just fall for another one. There were some buskers on the northern line twice last week, two successive days. They walked from carriage to carriage on the train and um, one of them played a drum rather badly, one of them played an accordion rather badly, one of them had a plastic cup to collect money and one of them blew a trumpet in my face. And um, when the appeal for money came around, I thought, no way. No way, I don't even know what you're collecting for. The passage in John's Gospel that we're going to consider this morning begins with a wonderful claim. In verse 12, one of the famous claims of Jesus, he says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me. So he's a moving light, a light to be followed. And uh, if you just glance back at the beginning of chapter 7, you'll see in verse 2 that the Jewish feast of tabernacles was near. And uh, John chapter 7 and 8 is set really at the time of the Jewish feast of tabernacles or tents, which was a time when they remembered when they'd come out of slavery in Egypt at the Exodus And then they crossed the desert, the wilderness, sleeping in tents, hence the Feast of Tents or Tabernacles. And uh, then they finally got to the Promised Land. And uh, you may have wondered why we had that strange little short reading from Psalm 105 uh, as our Old Testament reading. When they look back at that time in the desert, they said there were three things God gave us. And they were all there in that Old Testament reading. He gave us food... He gave us manna, a a, a miraculous provision of food and, and, and quail. There was, there was food to eat. He gave us water from a rock, surprising water in the desert. And he gave us light, a fiery cloudy pillar to lead us through the desert so we knew where to go. And as you read through John's gospel in chapter six, you see Jesus of Nazareth feeding a large crowd out in the desert with food. Then in chapter 7, if you read that later, you hear Jesus of Nazareth at the Feast of Tabernacles offering to give people drink water. And now in chapter 8, he says, I'm light. So that Old Testament background is really big. What's he saying in verse 12? He's saying, I'm the that fiery, cloudy pillar that led the people from slavery through to the promised land, that was a a, a picture. That was a foreshadowing. That wasn't the final thing. I'm the final thing. If you follow me, you'll have light. You'll come from slavery. We'll think about that next week. You'll come into freedom, into the promised land, if you follow me. If you don't follow me, you'll be in darkness. You'll be lost. You'll die. It's quite a claim. It's a remarkable claim. And the Pharisees in verse 13 ask the natural question, which is, how do we know? So verse 13, they challenge the the claim. And they say, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony isn't valid. Now, they're not being picky. If you're a Bible reader, you'll be so used to the Pharisees being the baddies that we think, old Pharisees, silly old Pharisees. But they're not being silly. They're being perfectly sensible. They're doing what we would call due diligence in the business world. 
They're saying, okay, you say you're the light of the world. You say if we follow you, we'll, we'll, we'll go from slavery to freedom and light and life and all those wonderful things. And if we don't, we'll be in darkness. But it's just you saying it. So how do we know? Can you give us some references, some testimonials, something to give us some, some confidence that it's true? It's a perfectly reasonable question. You know those, those occasions where you meet somebody for the first time and, and you say to them, tell, so tell me about yourself. You know, there's things you, you might meet me and you say, so Christopher, tell me about yourself. And I want to say, okay, I'm very happy to tell you about myself, but if you've got any sense, you won't believe me. You won't be naive if it's just me telling you about myself. You'll want to find somebody else who knows me and say, now tell me, you might find my wife and say, tell me about Christopher. Then you might get something that's slightly more reliable. So that's what the Pharisees are doing. They're saying, it's just you talking. How do we know that it's genuine? Of course, if you do ask anyone else, um, I want to recommend that you ask my dear mother, who can't remember anything bad about me at all. Marvellous. She's a reliable... No, she's not a reliable witness in that sense. So that's the challenge, verse 12 and 13. It's a wonderful claim, and then there's a challenge. And then Jesus gives an answer, and I want us to think very carefully about this answer. So verse um, 14. Jesus says... Even if I testify on my own behalf, even if it is just me speaking for me, my testimony is valid because, here's the reason, I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. Now, I want us to think about this a little bit. Those of us who are Christian people are quite used to giving to reading this completely wrong, it seems to me. So the, 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 the answer most of us give is, well, Jesus is God. So he knows he's come from heaven and he's going to heaven. And they don't know that, the silly old Pharisees. But if they did know that, they would realize that with God, the rules of evidence are suspended. Now, you don't need to think about that very long to realize that that's a very stupid way of reading it. There are psychiatric hospitals all over the world where people can make the sort of claims that Jesus makes. And when you challenge them and you say, how do you know? It's no use to say, well, I'm God. I've come from heaven and I'm going to heaven. So there we are, end of argument. It's not an argument at all. It's a very foolish way of reading it. Jesus' answer is meant to be evidential. That is to say, it's meant to provide evidence. He's saying, if you realized where I'd come from and where I'm going, then you'd understand that my testimony is valid. And he's not saying, I know something you don't know, so Yabu sucks. It's not that kind of comment. It's, I know where I come from, and there's something about my visible life that makes where I come from evident. And if you watch with your eyes open, you'll see it. And I know where I'm going, and if you watch, you'll see it. And when you see it, then you'll know. So I want to suggest that um, the way to read this is, is, is to say there's something about Jesus' visible life that is self-validating. So in the normal world, we don't trust people. I mean, we really don't, do we? I mean, I, I've been trying to deal with my parents' affairs and, and the money laundering rules. I mean, nobody ever believes me. I can't walk into a bank and say, I'm me. 
Um, they say, well, yeah, how do we know? Where's your passport? Where's your driving license? Where's your utility bill and everything? And that is fair enough, isn't it, in the normal world, not to trust people. Sensible not to do that. Um, otherwise, we'd all be defrauded all the time. But Jesus is saying, there's something about my life. I know where I come from and I know where I'm going that is self-validating. And I want us to think about, uh, about what that means. As a headline, I take it that what he's saying is that, that my life is on a trajectory. I know where I come from, and I know where I'm going, and there is something about my life that is like an arrow that is going from somewhere to somewhere, and it's going steadily and consistently in a way that is not true of other human beings. So let's have a, let's have a look at this and see if we can unpack this, because it's very significant, I think. I think verses 15 through to 20 focus mainly on where Jesus comes from and then the rest of the passage on where he's going to. And if you read through John's Gospel, you'll find that from time to time people speculate about where Jesus comes from. They say, oh, he's come from Nazareth. I didn't think the Messiah came from Nazareth. Or, I don't know where he comes from. Or, we do know where he comes from. Or, we don't know where he comes from. You read through John's Gospel, there's great confusion. But from time to time they're saying, where does he come from? Uh, we, we don't understand, and it's all to do with his identity. Let me give you a, 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 a sort of headline. I, I, I thought it'd be really interesting to read through John's Gospel and see what Jesus says in answer to the question, where do you come from? And I reckon there's about 40 times in John's Gospel that he, he, he addresses or refers to where he's come from, roughly 40. 35 of those are to do with I've come from the Father. And of those 35, 30 are I've come from the Father who sent me. So the main answer Jesus gives is not I've come from heaven, though occasionally he does say that, or that I've come from eternity. The main answer is not in terms of place or time. The main answer Jesus gives is in terms of a relationship. I've come from the Father My life is shaped by one significant relationship. And my life is shaped with a mission, the Father who sent me. So if you want to, if you watch my life, you will see in my life a life that is shaped by one significant relationship as the Son of the Father and one mission that the Father has given me, the Father who sent me. So let's trace that through from verse 15. So Jesus says, you judge by human standards. You you don't understand consistency. You don't understand um, a relationship with God and and, and, and the the mission that comes from from that. Um, I I pass judgment on, on no one. That's not the reason I came. But even if I do judge, my decisions are right because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Do you see that phrase? The Father who sent me. It's a great theme in John's Gospel. And then in verse 17, he says, in your own law, in the Old Testament, it's written, the testimony of two men, I mean, in the original law, it's two or three, is is valid. So there's a good Old Testament law that comes once or twice in the Old Testament, which says, don't trust one person, make sure you get multiple attestation to check that something's true. It's not an absolute guarantee. You can get false witnesses agreeing, but it's, it, it, it's a good rule to check, get referees, get testimonials. 
get commendations, check, cross-check that things are, that are as they seem to be. That's your law. And the New Testament says it's a good law as well. Paul says it's a good law. It is a good law. It's a sensible law. So Jesus says, well, you've got this law of, of not trusting people, checking. So he says, okay, I'll tell you my two witnesses. I'm one of them. <laughs> it's almost as though he's teasing them. I'm one of them, to which the answer is you can't be. You can't be your own witness. And the other witness is absent, unknown, and related to me, my father. <laughs> so you say, well, <laughs> you know, hang on a minute, are you teasing us? And Jesus isn't teasing. He's saying, no, no, there's something about a life that is shaped by this one relationship to the Father and this one mission who sent me, which is self-validating. So they ask in verse 19, where's your Father? And Jesus says, you don't know me or my Father. It's not just the Father you don't know, you don't know me. If you knew me, you'd know my Father, because if you watched me and listened to me, you would see visibly, audibly, lived out in front of you, a life of such absolute consistency that you would recognize that this was a God-shaped life and a God-sent life. Now, friends, you and I struggle with this because we are so unlike this. My life is not like an arrow that says I'm shaped by one significant relationship and one mission in life. My life is inconsistent. My life is more like, you know those um, silly little sort of tilting puzzles where you try and roll a ball bearing from the beginning to the end of a maze by tilting the, um, the, 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 the maze. And my life is like that, so I sort of go a little bit round, you know, a bit the way I'm meant to go. And then some self-pity, some greed, some delight in comfort, some lust, some, some uh, resentment, um, catches me and I fall down a hole and go, have to go back to the beginning. That's what my life is like. It's not consistent. It's not, I can't stand in front of you and say, I know where I come from and I know where I'm going. My life is consistent. And nor can you. We, it's why we need witnesses. We need testimony. We need references and so on to check. But Jesus says, if you watch me, you will see a life of wonderful consistency. And he says it in a public place, verse 20, um, and they want to seize him because he shows them up, but they don't because his time hasn't yet come. Now, the problem with this is that somebody can say, I know where I come from. I want to tell you very forcefully that my life is shaped by one relationship. I'm not pushed around. I'm not blown around by winds. I don't watch to see which way the tide's going. I, I go according to one relationship and according to one mission. The problem is that a hypocrite can say that. And the problem with hypocrisy is hypocrisy. <laughs> the problem with hypocrisy is that a hypocrite can make great claims but have mixed motives. I've been reading a fast, I'm reading a really interesting book about Abraham Lincoln and some of his rivals for the presidency. And I was reading about one man who, in the early days of the anti-slavery movement in the 1850s, made a rip-roaring anti-slavery speech. And the biographer comments that that speech came partly from conviction, he believed slavery to be wrong, and partly from ambition. 
because, of course, it established him as a great anti-slavery campaigner and made his name. And it lurks everywhere for us, doesn't it? Do I want to pray or do I want to be known as somebody who prays? Do I want to give generously or do I want to be known as someone who gives generously? Mixed motives around every corner, aren't they? Hypocrisy is everywhere. So the question you get to by verse 20 is, okay, it's all very well, Jesus, to say, I know where I've come from. I come from the Father who sent me. It's all very well to say that, and your life does appear to be consistent, but how do we know that you're not a charlatan? How do we know that you're not a hypocrite? How do you know that you're not using that sort of language to make a name for yourself? Is there any test? And the answer is yes, there is one test, and only one. And the only surefire test to see whether somebody is genuine is suffering. And so Jesus says, I know where I'm going. And when Jesus says, I know where I'm going, he's not simply saying, I know that I'm going back to God, like a spaceman who's come down from another planet and now he's going back to another planet. When Jesus says, I know where I'm going, he's talking about the cross. So follow through with me, if you will, from verse 21 to see how Jesus continues. It's very striking and I think very moving. So once more, Jesus said to them in verse 21, I'm going, and the focus begins to shift now from where he's come from to where he's going. I'm going away. It's a little bit cryptic, isn't it? You're going to look for me. You're going to die in your sin, because where I go, you can't come. Says it again later in John's Gospel. I'm going somewhere. You're not able to come there. And they understand, verse 22, that he's talking about his death. Because they say, is he going to kill himself? Because there's an irony there. He's not going to kill himself. They're going to kill him. But they understand that it's about death. So they say, is that why he says, where I go, you can't come? He's talking about his death, isn't he? And Jesus says, verse 23, you're from below. I'm from above. Jesus doesn't mean he's not human. He's fully human. But he's talking about value systems. You have a from-below value system, a self-centered value system. I'm from above. I have a different value system. I come from the Father who sent me. You're of this world, this the world's value system. I'm not of this world, fully human, but not sharing the world's value system. I told you you die in your sins. If you don't believe that I am the one I claim to be, you'll die in your sins. And so they ask, verse 25, who are you? It's the central question of John's gospel. Who are you? Who are you? And Jesus says, just what I've been claiming all along. I've got much to say in judgment of you. But he who sent me, do you see that again? The Father who sent me is reliable. And what I've heard from him, I tell the world. And they don't understand he's talking about the Father. And so Jesus says this, and this is the punchline, verse 28. It's as though Jesus is saying, I know where I come from. My life is shaped by one relationship with the Father. My life is shaped, directed by one mission from the Father. And the test is this, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, the human one, Jesus, when you've lifted him up, when you've stripped him naked, when you've scourged him and whipped him and beaten him, when you've lifted him up on a Roman cross, when there is 
absolutely no possible benefit for him in what he's saying and doing. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am. When every possible hypocrisy or or, or mask for hypocrisy has been stripped away, when every possible mixed motive has been stripped away, when when you've lifted up the Son of Man, when, when, when he's completely stripped of all dignity and all honor and in agony, then you'll know. And look what you'll know. You'll know that I am the one I claim to be. You'll know that I don't do anything on my own. You know that I'm not a self-made man. You'll know that I speak just what the Father has taught me. You'll know that the one who sent me, do you see that again? The one who sent me is with me. He hasn't left me alone. And you'll know that I always do what pleases him. Always, always, always. Then you'll know that. And so then you will know, says the Lord Jesus, that my life is shaped by one relationship with the Father, not pushed around by other people and what they want, not pushed around by peer pressure or mockery or praise of others, by one relationship with the Father. My life is directed by one mission, the Father who sent me. I've come on a mission. I'm a man on a mission. I'm doing this one mission. That's what I'm doing You watch the way I treat the rich and the poor, the way I treat the powerful and the powerless. You watch me with Nicodemus, the powerful man. You watch me with the Samaritan woman, the powerless woman. You will see a consistency of mission about my life. And when you see me on the cross, then you will see that all that is proved by suffering. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know then you'll know that this one human life is completely devoid of all hypocrisy. Then you'll know that this one human life is utterly consistent. Then you'll know that my testimony is valid. Then you'll know that there is something so pure and beautiful and single-hearted about this one human life that you will trust that I am the light of the world, and that if you follow me, you won't walk in darkness. Then you'll know. And I think there's at least a suggestion that that is what happened to Nicodemus, the senior Jewish man whom Jesus met in John chapter 3, who came to Jesus by night because he was a man in darkness at that stage. He couldn't see it. He couldn't get it at that stage. And when Jesus dies... After Jesus is dead, Nicodemus comes out into the open, into the light, and says, I'm going to be a follower of his. I'm going to be a disciple of his. When when you've lifted up the Son of Man, when you've seen the Son of Man go where he's sent and fulfill that mission and complete exactly what the Father wanted him to do, then you'll know. Then you'll know that there's something wonderful about this. Now, friends, I want to do two things. The first is this. I want to... To say to you, as I say to myself, should we not be filled with a sense of awe and wonder at this fully human life of the Lord Jesus? In a sense, it's nothing much to do with him being God. We tend to to use Jesus as God as an excuse for, gee, it was easier for Jesus. It was no easier for Jesus. Fully human, this fully human life, shaped by that relationship with the Father, directed by that mission, the Father who sent me, and proved by suffering. 
Should we not be filled with awe and wonder? And a confidence, actually, as we speak with friends about Christian faith, that the one who is the leader of our religion lived the most beautiful and wonderful and single-minded human life that any human being has ever lived. The world is full of frauds and charlatans and hypocrites. Sadly, we contribute to that. But there is this one perfect human life, and that's a wonderful thing. But I don't want to leave it there. And I want just to push it one stage further. In chapter 20 of John's Gospel, after the resurrection, Jesus says to his followers, As the Father sent me, I send you. And there is a sense when a man or woman is a Christian, and somebody asks you or somebody asks me, where do you come from? You know, we use that language, don't you? I I understand where he's coming from. I know where she's coming from. We use that metaphorically, don't we? If somebody asks me, where do you come from? The, 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 The human answer is, I come from my parents and grandparents, and there's a family history, and there's genes, and there's nurture, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and there's culture and history and so on. That's the, that's the, you know, and those answers are very interesting. But the Christian answer is, I come from the Son who sent me. I come from a life which is now directed by fellowship with the Father and the Son, by the Spirit. That's what matters to me as a Christian. And I am sent I'm on a mission. Jesus has sent me. He's given me the mission to live for him. And when somebody asks a Christian, where are you going? The deeply Christian answer is, I'm going the way of the cross. I'm saying no to self. I'm beginning to live for Jesus and to know what it is to crucify myself with my desires. And I'm beginning to live like that. And I think the thing is this, what is going to persuade our neighbors, friends, work colleagues of the genuineness of Jesus? Oh sure, we can tell them about the wonders of Jesus' life as we read about it in the New Testament. Mostly they're not interested. But what they see is your life and mine. And if in the lives they see, they see lives which in one sense are just like theirs, mixed motives, hypocrisy, selfishness, and all that kind of thing. But they see lives which are beginning to be shaped by relationship with God, are beginning to be directed by by the mission of Jesus sending us to live for him, and beginning to be tested by the cost of suffering. And they're beginning to see Here is somebody who's living as a follower of Jesus and their life is beginning to be shaped by that and it is costing them and I'm beginning to see that it's genuine. I'm beginning to see that although there are plenty of charlatans and televangelists and frauds all over the place, I'm beginning to see that in this life I'm watching in the office, this life I'm watching at the school gate, this life I'm watching, in my wider family, I'm beginning to see that there is something genuine about this, sent by Jesus, beginning to pay the cost of living for Jesus. 
Is it not true that men and women will begin to look up and think, I wonder if it might be true. I wonder if it might be true that Jesus is the light of the world. I wonder if it might be true that as we walk following him, we walk in light. I wonder if it might be true that as we follow him, we are walking from slavery through the desert into the promised land in Old Testament language. I wonder if it just possibly might be true. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that were the case? I've been greatly challenged by this answer Jesus gives. I know where I come from and I know where I'm going. And I would love if my life began to be seen as just beginning in some small measure to uh, be an echo and reflection uh, uh, of that as a follower of Jesus. And I would love it if others were to see in my life, wouldn't you love it if they were to see in your life something of that and of the self-validating, transparently genuine character of that kind of life? Let's be quiet for a moment and I'll pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the wonderful life of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his being lifted up for us and always doing what pleases you. And we ask that our lives too might begin to be shaped like his. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.